Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James, my friend, super excited to have y'all out here back in the diner. I'm excited for this episode. Let's jump in. My boy, Jeff Des is in the waiting room and I need to bring him out here because y'all need to meet him. Let me tell you about this man. Let me tell you about this man. Jeff and I met as co-workers at New Jersey City University where we had a damn good a time working together. It was nothing but laughs. It was also competition between who's got the freshest fit, who's got the good sneakers, who's wearing the coolest hat, Jeff and his damn vests. You know what I'm saying? Like we out here with these blazers. And so it was always a great experience. But most importantly, we impacted lives. And we created an environment where those students could thrive. And that's what Jeff does. Jeff in, <laughs> Jeff sets up these spaces for individuals to know that they can show up and win. He started his own education company with our boy Lenny called Trill Not Trill. And they're doing incredible programs across the country on incorporating pop culture and leadership so that we're actually delivering the messages that people can hear in a way that they can understand. And they're also doing some really powerful consulting work and some other really awesome things. And they also just wrote a book and it's coming out here really soon. By the time, if you're on the podcast, by the time you're hearing this, it's actually probably already out. It's called We Wear Kicks to Work. Let me bring this man out for you right now. The one, the only, Mr. Jeff Des. My guy. I'm on I'm on the show. I'm on the show. <laughs> I'm... What's up, James? How are you? I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Hold on. Let me let me let me make sure I look good for y'all and, and, and angle myself so I could look right. There, there we go. Now we cooking with hot grease. How are you, my friend? <laughs> my guy, I'm good now. You're looking good out here. We got the beanie on the matching tie. I see you. Listen, I you know, I knew that it was diner talks and I felt like, you know, sometimes at the diner, you either are wearing a hoodie or you're wearing a three piece suit. So I wanted to combine the two. This is casual at the top, business on the bottom. We're here to go, man. We're here to go. <laughs> We're here to go for sure. I love that, man. I love that. Now, now you're a you're a proud New Yorker growing up in Queens, of course, Queens in the building. Um, now, did you did you go to a lot of diners growing up? And if so, what what was your diner move? Like what what did you uh, when would you go and what would you normally get like what's your typical diner move yeah so you know when i was growing up i did not really go to diners um at all but it was like college and then grad school and then my first professional job is when it really started to kick in and um and you know i worked in residence life and housing so and i was an ra so you know that means long nights up at three four five in the morning so that was the, that was the move mm -hmm. it was making it was after midnight always and yep. You know, I'm a vegetarian today, but previously, um, the move was a patty melt. I was big into eating burgers in a sandwich. I thought it was just like the most fascinating thing to have a burger meat not on a bun. It reminded me of like growing up when I was a kid. You know, my my grandma used to make these horrendous burgers. They tasted delicious, but they looked all deformed. And then what would happen is uh, she'd put them in some bread. You know, get some some white bread. And that was my sandwich. And I think that's really what got me. Patty melts were my go-to move. It was like the burger, the onions, 
the the bread and then some fries of course and then that was it that yeah, was yeah. that was a go-to they put a little of that russian dressing on there too don't yeah they? yeah 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 you get some dressing on i mean it's just I, that was it for me i, I just loved eating at three o'clock in the morning and eating that and just it just felt really good and it was always with a friend right so my diner move was never alone um even though i i didn't have any problems eating alone but i loved just going to the diner having the conversation with somebody and then just eating right and then you know of course also a secondary meal was the omelet right you can't i feel like the omelet is an automatic diner item that you have to get and uh, you can't ask for like fancy omelets it can't be avocados and you know um, let me get some peppers and no, no, listen no egg cheese i think that's about it man that's, that's it. about it, it. <laughs> Yo, no, no lie no lie sometimes i go two cheese sometimes i go cheddar right that's that's if you're fancy man we call those payday <laughs> <laughs> that extra 50 i love cents. it <laughs> i know i know I, I remember going to a diner in uh in maine uh i don't know if you've been there it's like the the big diner in maine where like all the presidential candidates go it's like this little small diner yeah. and it's this tiny diner in maine and i remember going in there and just thinking like what do i get and the lady was like man as i'm like looking down the menu trying to be all fancy she was like man just get the omelet and i was like you're right I'll just take the omelet. What, what, no, what was I trying to do here? What was I trying to do? All right. Well, what, what are we fighting? Why are we fighting this, man? Just give me the omelet. <laughs> I love that, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, no, that's definitely, that's definitely the move uh, for me. I'm, uh, I, also do, uh, I also do a little corned beef hash from time to time. My parents taught me that. Uh, a little corned beef hash for sure. Yeah, I think that at a diner, you shouldn't be eating things. And this is no shade to diners, but, you know, you shouldn't be eating things that are not that are fancy. Right. I think the premium diner move like I, I have friends that have gone into diners and they're like, let me get spaghetti. And I'm like, what are you what are you doing here? This no. is not the place to get spaghetti. What are you no. talking about? Let me yeah. get the let me get the tilapia. What? What do we? No, man. Get you like flipping. That's like deeper into the menu than you'd ever been. Before. Right. That's like page seventeen. Tilapia? I'm like, listen, page seventeen's not for you, bro. Just go page one through four. That's where you need to stay. Your triple decker sandwich. Yeah. Your, you know what I'm saying? Your tuna fish. Your eggs. <laughs> your pancakes. That's it, man. That's like when it. I see diners have steaks and lobsters, I'm like, man, this is not the place. I'm not getting that here. Nope. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah, no, for sure. Those lobsters that they got in the back, they're not moving anymore. There's nothing. <laughs> the lobster's been there since the owner bought the spot. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> but there is that. It's, it's iconic, though, because when you go into a diner, uh, when you go into a diner, like you said, you're always rolling in there with some friends. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, that's that's the thing for sure. And it's, it's that beautiful moment of, like, we're in this together, right? Like, like yeah. we're not here. We're not here for the food. The food is a was an excuse mm -hmm. for us to hang out. <laughs> yeah, and like even the seating, I think, lends to that, right? So the diner's seating is never spacious. It's like a booth that's very tight, and you're that's it. You're in there. You're in the booth, like nope. I am in this like this window. I'm just like, all right, how do I fit right into this? Okay, and then it's four. It's like six of us, and then that's it. You know what I mean? And there's no even the tables. They're like, you know, if you go in there with like ten people, it's just like, ah, the guy's got to go get the two extra chairs in the back. He's just, you know what I mean? Or we got to sit in two booths. Like sometimes they don't even have that. It's just like, all right, yeah. which four of us are sitting in this booth, and the other four, you're over there like on the back, 
hey man what's let me get a little thing you know what i'm saying so <laughs> i love it french fries it's right. a beautiful thing it's a beautiful it's it, thing man it's it they got jello at the diner that's another thing too it's like what what do you have for dessert a scoop of vanilla a scoop of chocolate or jello i'm like i'll have the jello man yeah jello. let's go with that jello red please thank you yeah of course red i mean what are we <laughs> what kind of world are we living in where red is not the premium choice jello <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, that that's what we're doing here, man. <clears throat> right? Like that's it's that it's that it's that same beautiful moment uh, that we're trying to recreate out here. And uh, mm-hmm. and and I, <laughs> I love it, dude. Because you and I, you and I have had a number of meals together that went way longer than our servers had been happy about. <laughs> I've been there. I've seen the way that you you scoop your French fries. And I've seen the way you cut your pancakes. I've seen it all, man. We and we've definitely sat down, and I think that's what I love, right? I think with with with, with you, I know that I'm going to get an authentic conversation, and it's going to be real. And after about like you know the first thirty minutes or so, we carve through like the pleasantries. Oh yeah, hey, how's it going? Good to see. You. Yeah, 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 that's great. How about those guy game? Yeah, the Yankees. Oh man, and then it's just like. Man, I'm going through some things, bro. Like, can we have this conversation? Yeah, man. Did you know, like, life is different? It's like you're, did you ever think that Inception could actually exist in our hearts, man? And you're just like, and that's how we get. And I know that, <laughs> I know that sometimes those, those wait staff are looking at us like, I know this is a 24 hour spot, man, but my shift is over yeah. <laughs> in six hours and y'all are still here. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is open here for 24 hours. That doesn't mean you need to stay here for that long. Right. <laughs> yeah. But actually, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I love it, dude. Yeah. We, always great conversations, man. And it's interesting. The last time that we broke bread together, uh, we had a really cool conversation that I kind of want to revisit right now, especially with what's a little bit of what's going on in the country, right? Because the country is, uh, is that a place where, uh, you know, they're starting to listen a little bit more because I think quarantines give us a little more time. Um, and uh, it's allowed people to kind of read a little bit more, though, uh, after watching the presidential debate. I don't know how much listening everybody's doing, um, but uh, we're not touching that with a 10 foot pole because this isn't dropping for a while. Um, <laughs> so um, but still, uh, but still, uh, it's interesting because one thing that you and I had a cool conversation about one time is uh, you talk about the this concept of having a, a hidden curriculum. Uh, and, you know, you and I both worked in higher, you still, you still work in higher ed. I do a lot of business in higher ed and whatnot. And that, that's obviously where my, my roots are. <clears throat> and so, um, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, why are certain students more successful than others? What, you know, what, how do some people come in and just kind of know how to navigate the system and others don't and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, how do some of these people slip through the cracks and you talked about this concept called the the hidden curriculum. Can you tell me yeah. a little a little bit more about that, man? And tell us all. Yeah. So you know what happens is, you know, we try to recognize why students don't succeed. So college is this space where, you know, you show up, and the ultimate goal is to win. And whatever winning looks like, you didn't show up to college to not improve your life, right? You came, better job, meet new people, uh, be- better success, graduate school, all of these things. So that's what college, they say that, they, you know, come to us and we'll guarantee you that you'll be better. And what happens is that so many students are not guaranteed to be better because of what we call the hidden curriculum. So students come in that are not prepared, that are underserved, that come from schools that are not 
giving them the opportunity to succeed. Then they go into college and then college says, yeah, here's how you win. Go to the bursar's office. And you're like, what is a bursar? And then they say, <laughs> go to, you know, go see, um, I don't know, they, they, you know, other terminology like, you know, FAFSA. Did you fill out your FAFSA form? What is that? You know, and then it's like, yeah, make it sound like it sounds like gibberish, right? And then it's like, yeah, after you've done that, make sure you go to see the TLC office. After them, the OSP office will make sure that you get the CLE people to sign your paper at the AIM. And you're like, I don't know any of these terminologies. And we use this all the time, even things like student government, when they're like SGA or SGO or whatever, like that. All of SGI, all of these things are just acronyms and terminologies that are not. All openly offered to students. So the hidden mm-hmm. curriculum, in essence, is just these items that are part of your day-to-day curriculum of success for a college student that are not openly, readily available to students who don't know. So if you're a first-generation student who has no idea of or and no background and no history and come from an institution, a high school that hasn't prepared you, then you walk right into this place with... Um, uh, with a disadvantage. You're already in second place behind all of these people who had five or six parents that knew what FAFSA meant, right? And yeah. and and that's where we run into the, the idea. So students can't win if they don't have the advantages that you said you're going to provide them. So I challenge institutions all the time. I go into these schools all the time. I go to my own school and I say, let's get rid of these words and these ideas and let's just call it what it is and help these students out. So, you know, when we start thinking about the climate and, and of the culture today, a lot of the students that come from institutions like high schools that are not prepared, them are black and brown. And then we start to wonder why there is low enrollment numbers and re- low retention numbers and why students are not succeeding at the higher rate that that other students are. So when you see these black and brown kids from these poorer areas struggling, it's not because they're black or brown and and struggling. It's because they are just literally unaware of things that are simple to everybody else. And, you know, it's just like, you can't go onto a basketball court. If you don't know what a traveling rule means, if you don't know what a layup, if you don't know what a bounce pass or what a coach is telling you, I need you to pass the ball, like give me a chess pass. And you don't know what that means. And they say, you can't dribble the ball, but you don't know what dribble means. And they say, you know, shoot the ball and you don't know what shoot means. That's how impactful the, the hidden curriculum is. It's that much. It's like saying, go play this sport in another language using terms that you've never heard of and win the game. How can you play like that? So it's our job as educators to assure that the, the hidden curriculum is, obs- is made obsolete. Yeah, man. Uh, powerfully put, brother. I really love the uh, the sports analogy about playing playing a game in another language, uh, right? And and you know, even if it's yeah. a game, you theoretically know, right? Like people know education and, and a certain extent, but all of a sudden you throw all these crazy terms in there, and it gets way more complicated and confusing, and and it's it's tough. But you know, I agree with you that you know it's a lot of black and brown communities, particularly uh, these areas that have less than enough that are really uh, that are really kind of uh, behind the eight ball in this particular sense. Why do you think it is that? Uh, why do you think it is that those communities aren't doing 
aren't aren't necessarily doing as much prep work for some of their students. Like where, you know, where's that energy going towards? Because it's obviously going towards something. Um, where, tell me a little bit about that, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, the energy, the energy is going to policing those students, right? That's where yeah. it is. All the resources that should be going towards creating more beneficial educational experiences are going to uh, police officers. It's going to individuals who, um, are watching the students. It's going to bars on the windows. And, you know, I worked at a high school that was like that. It was this, like this amazing high school. And what I, what I, what I loved about this high school was that it had everything in there. It had a full culinary arts kitchen. It had a full like newspaper printing station. It had a full, um, business like Bloomberg type technology space. And I was like, man, this is it. So when they bought, when the school was created, the idea of it was like, we're going to create this amazing group of students. And then I think the neighborhood before it got fully gentrified or it reversed, it was like gentrified, then it went back and then it trying to, you know, so then what ended up happening was we started seeing a lot of poor kids go to those schools. And then all of a sudden, all in Queens, and all of a sudden, all of these police officers started to pack and, they, you know, they had the the um, the metal detectors at the doors. They had police officers and security guards. So and then you had overpopulation. So you have teachers that are teaching students of like 40 students, you know, what I mean, like literally 40 kids in a class. So, you know, the reason why those students are not succeeding is because there are people, you know, and let me tell you, James, they were teachers and guidance counselors. I remember telling students, I had a guidance counselor tell me, listen, because I, I was doing an after school program. And I was like, listen, I'm going to try and help this, this young man out. But he was like, man, that guy's going to jail anyways. I don't know why you need to help him out. Damn. And you know, that kid right now, that kid right now has a master's degree in theology. And I think, I, I think they're at, at, from Yale. They went to Yale, Yale theology school. And that kid was poor, was supposed to go to jail, but came to our after school program was this amazing poet and took the poetry and then took his home lessons as, as going to church every Sunday and Wednesday and this, and then channel that we stayed with him, went to college. Boom. Now he's doing what he wants to do. Hell yeah. And that's the kid that was going to jail. You know what I'm saying? And I just think about like, you know, I, I got in that school because a grant was offered to that school. But if that grant wasn't offered, I don't know if that kid goes to the to the program. I don't know if that kid gets to college. Or if they do get to college, they're not prepared. So mm -hmm. that's where the energy is going, man. The energy is going into figuring out how do we police these kids and how do we make sure that they're behaving right as opposed to making sure that, you know, they have books and and mm -hmm. and classroom ses settings that are appropriate. And, and that's why we're doing a disservice to our kids because we're not allowing them to flourish and be their best and, you know, and, 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 and we punish them for, for rocking kicks. You know, that's why we've talked about. We wear kicks. As you said earlier, we rock, you know, and the kids were getting punished because their kicks were too bright and things like that. And I'm like, what kind of world are we living in? And, yeah. and so that's, what's happening. That's, that's, what's happening. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Focusing way more on discipline and way less on dialogue. Right. Um, like, and that's, I mean, we see that in so many different areas of life as well, but it's just a shame because when it happens at that particular phase of life and, and as young for, for young men and women that are, that are trying to come up and do right. Um, <clears throat> when it happens, then it stifles, right. It, it lets individuals know that like, yo, the, the bar is set. Uh, the bar is going to be set too high for you. And, uh, and it just puts individuals at this really negative mindset, man. And, uh, and I love the way that you spoke about it, uh, with just as far as, you know, just as far as like this story of, you know, just one dude is like, nah, screw that. That kid, that kid's a lost cause, right? Like when, when do we make the choice to give up on people? 
right? That's such a that's such a terrible move. Um, and and when are we so disenfranchised at our work that we decide to give up, right? Like a lot of us have, a lot of people have done that in their own jobs where they're just like, you know what, this job sucks anyway, but at least I got a paycheck so I can ride my snowmobile later. Or right, yeah. like, we got something like that. It's like this is the this is a means to an end. It's why they call it work and not fun. And we let ourselves get into these ruts. Um, and and those individuals though. They, rec- they rarely recognize the ripple effect that they have, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're taking, because of the discipline, they're stripping the voices of the individuals that they should be listening to and caring for and setting up for success. But their bitterness and their focus on discipline is really just put, holding people down. Um, and it's not, it's not working. Yeah. You know, the focus on discipline also just comes from, you know, I mean, it's it, it's it's like it's systemic in nature, right? So the reason you think that you have to discipline is because you've been told that these people are predators or that they're dangerous or that they can't learn, and that's just like racism, right? So part of it is also just people just are racist and and don't want to say it, and they're I'm not racist, you are, and even if you aren't racist, no. you're perpetuating a racist system, right? So as long as you're part of that construct, then you're you're part of the issue, and you know it's like this. You know, when, when you have a house that has a poor foundation, right, I don't care how many furniture pieces you put in the house. I don't care how much you beautify the lights and how many family dinners you've had in there. If the house has a poor foundation, the house is going to fall. That's it. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is that we are ingra- we are ingrained in this system that is built on a terrible foundation and people are trying to figure out, you know, how do I just keep putting Christmas tree lights on this? And I'm just like, yo, I don't care how many Christmas tree lights you put on here. This thing is messed up. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, you know, if you walk in, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? This is not right. And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. This this has worked for us. And I'm like, it's not working. And, and that's where we are. We're in a place where it's just foundationally uh, problematic and yeah, you know what I mean? And, and that's the thing. I think about like giving up. I think people give up before they even, they don't, they never even started to give in. You know, they, they gave up off top. So it's like, it's important. You know, it's funny because I was just thinking about, I was talking about that. I was just like, you know, in this day and age, for both of us who work in leadership development, I'm like, man, what are we doing? Right? Because I start to look at the people who are my elders in certain spaces, right? Black, white, purple, yellow, green, that are in these major positions who shall remain nameless that are just not acting in concert with what we define as leadership. So it makes me wonder what has been defined as leadership to, to those folks who are in those positions that are succeeding, that are in high level positions that are making, you know, absorbent amounts of money. And I'm sitting here telling a student or a young person, you have to be humble. You have to be civil. You have to take care of others. You have to think of the community. You have to be inclusive. You have to be an ally. And, and none of that, seems to be defined as success in this broader conversation. So that's why it's essential to really never give up because I don't you don't you won't see the fruits of our labors, you know what I'm saying? We won't see it. And we'll see the work and we'll see it in these small increments, but you know, you can't give up uh because I mean, you just can't, right? It's like I can't because I I'm not trying to 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 see my my future kids and my generation and and uh, that's coming after me, take these L's. Like I still have hope that I can be a change agent. That's going to be part of the group that says, you know, 
when we changed the world, it was because of Jeff's generation or it was because of James's leadership. It was because of those guys that we're here where we are. And that's why you got to keep doing that work, man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> for sure. Yeah. Keep, and keep, keep pressing and keep, uh, yeah. I mean, you got to keep banging. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, uh, this, the, the gap gets bigger, um, yeah. and the poor yeah. get poor. Um, right. And like, it just, it just, we just keep perpetuating the same exact system that we're in. That's just blatantly not working. Um, right. <clears throat> and so when we think about flipping the script, when we think about flipping the script and starting to put in some of the work, right? Like I think one of the most interesting things uh, of not in, one of the most, I guess, uh, vibrant things for me as I've, as I've sat in it for the last few months, um, particularly since the, the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, like, and since like when the conversation just got to a roar um, is that one of the things that's hard is, is as someone who didn't grow up in a space like that, didn't have that kind of an experience and didn't have anything. First off, it's about, it's about realizing that your story is not everybody's story. So you got to yeah. get over yourself a little bit, right? You got to broaden your spectrum just because you've never left your hometown and haven't seen more and haven't learned more, haven't met more. Doesn't mean that doesn't exist. Right? So sometimes when we have that conversation with someone who's like, I don't think it's a problem. We sometimes need to respond to them, but well, what if it was, then what would you think? Right. And like, start the conversation that way, even if we need to start in a hypothetical place, right. Like, yeah. and, and then, then we could slowly land the plane. Um, but uh, you know, when we think about the work that needs to be done and, and for me, what was overwhelming and what has always been overwhelming about the work um, is, is it's like, where do you start and where is the role? Right. It's not like, it's like, well, you know, I mean, because <laughs> a lot of times you're just like that. You're just like that dick in the meeting who's like, well, I think this should change and, and you should change it. And I'm going to leave now, <laughs> but right. change it. and You're welcome. <laughs> right. Like, and that's that's what that's what a lot of times this feels like where it's like, yeah, that should change. Let me send a tweet. Yeah, that should change. Let me post to my Instagram story. Yeah, that should. Yeah, that's that is a problem. Um, but what is the next move? Right. Um, and so that's sometimes where it gets really daunting, where it's such a big thing. It's such a big thing, but what is beautiful about you, Jeff, and the work that you put in is that, uh, yes, you're working on dismantling systems, but a lot of the work that you're doing, yes, is from a high level, but it's also from the ground level and the way that you're having conversations, the way you're pulling the student aside and setting them up with success to get the grant, to get to Yale eventually, right? Like those little baby steps of, of being persistent with our support with each other, um, which is something that we all do. We all give up on each other often too easily. Um, and yeah. so... Uh, so when we think about the work that you've been doing, man, like that, some of that one-on-one -on -one stuff or just the way that you show up, um, what, what are you trying to do and, and what's going on? I know this kind of a little bit of what you're talking about in your, in your upcoming book that you got going on too, man, but tell me a little more about it. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing. When it comes to this idea of, of helping people and being a leader and a change agent and all these things, the first thing that I tell everyone is you have to be a person who understands what it means to struggle in solidarity, right? So you cannot act as if you're better than and still think that you are a leader and still think that you can change the world. The moment that you think like that, the moment that your ego allows you, the moment that some title that you were given, the moment that something tells you, I'm better than this person who I'm working with or working for, mm -hmm. you're out. 
you're out. Like, and that's it. And that, that, like, that to me is it. And I've had to, and I was a person that used to think like that. I used to walk around gassed thinking I was the smartest kid in the room, thinking that I was the, the funniest person, the sharpest, most wittiest, always on point. And I had to strip all of those layers out to when be a true. I think that was when it started. I know. Okay, for sure. great. Yeah, no. yeah. I said I had to fall back. I had to fall back. <laughs> I had to fall back. And that's what I learned, man. I was just like, man, you know what? I don't think I'm doing it right because sometimes your natural talent or somebody is in your ear mm-hmm. telling you that you can be the, you know, the change of the world, you know, all these things, right? And I had to really look at myself and say, I, I gotta get release this ego, right? And you have to really kind of like you got to almost like dodge yourself, right? You got to like your ego's pulling up and you've got to really be this person that's moving out of the way of that because the moment that it hits you is when, you know, you start to feel good. You know, Kanye said, you know, it's hard to be humble when you're stunting on a jumbotron, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is. Mm-hmm. And that jumbotron for us becomes those people patting us on the back. That jumbotron is people saying, man, you're so brilliant. That jumbotron is people saying, wow, you know, you should be the director, the executive dean, the vice president, the, the leader, the whatever. All of those things, they, those are the jumbotrons for people such as ourselves. I had to, like, break the jumbotron, right? You know, it's like, what was it? Is it 1984, that old Apple commercial where the, the woman is running yeah. through the thing and then she breaks the, the stuff? This is for our, our older listeners here. Um <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, you got to kind of break the jumbotron of your life. You got to really stop staring into the camera and start staring at the people. And that's really where the work starts to happen. When you start looking at the people and you become one of them, then the conversations are easy. Then it's just like, I'm talking to myself. I'm having conversations. I'm looking at people who look like me, act like me, think like me, and they're different than I am. And that's where the work comes in. So for me, being able to have those one-on-one conversations with students happens when I start to say, it's not about me, it's about us. And that's the toughest thing for people who are talented to do. Like, I'm not going to act like this is some easy thing, but it's hard when you have to look at people who you know you might have some intellectual advantage over them, or you might have some privilege over them, or you might have more money than they do, and you still have to be able to walk into those rooms and say, yo, I'm just like you. And how does that, and then when you're in that room, that's when you start to use all of those abilities that you've learned and you've cultivated over the years, and those conversation pieces, and those, you know, that community development and that leadership development, all that stuff starts to ooze in. And that's why I think pop culture is so important because pop culture, if done right, is the ultimate equalizer, right? Like, so I can walk into a room with a bunch of different people. And we're all talking about how the Knicks are trash. And I get, you know, I start to cry at first. Yeah, and then sad. after I've wiped the tears statement. away, it's yeah, true. It's a true Knicks statement. Fan, it's sad, but true. You know, you know it, right? Yeah, but that's, that's where awesome. it is, right? So I could walk into a room with people who don't know who I am. And if I hear them talking about the Knicks, I know I can get in there. Or if they're talking about a TV show, I know I can get in there. Or if they're talking about a musician, I know that I can get in there. And we have to kind of be the pop culture individuals of life, right? We have to be pop culture but not pop. We have to be actual culture that changes and brings people together. And that's what I've learned, man. I've just learned like you got to really just turn the lights off for a little bit and just realize like, you know, when the lights are off, I don't know who's talking. I don't know who looks like what. We're all in the same boat together. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. You know what's funny? When you were talking, it reminded me of, uh, I think it was Zuckerberg, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He and I are on a last name basis. Yeah, yeah, um, I think it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Zuckerberg who, uh, I think he donated something like $200 million. Wasn't it to a school district in Newark? In uh, Newark, yeah. Right? Right? Yep. And he, and he, yep. and he said, yeah, and so he sends all this all this money over there, and he built they, they build this whole team, right? Like to try to get all these individuals involved, of like all these education experts and all the get a new superintendent out here. Let me get all these consultants. Let me get all this. Da, ba, ba. Let's get all the high end folks, and let's chuck some money at the problem, and let's figure it out, and let's fix boop boop Newark, right? <clears throat> and it bombed. Yep, it bombed incredibly hard. Now, that's a drop in the bucket for Mr. Zuckerberg, but still, uh, it's not a drop in the bucket in these kids' lives. And so uh, but one of the, the main reason why it didn't work is because what you were just talking about is that no one went in and had the conversations. They all just said, studies have shown students succeed when this. Cool, do that. Studies have said that we need more funding here. Cool, fund that. Studies have shown that blah, 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 cool, do that. And they went to all these studies, all of these external places, and they never talked to the individuals involved. And it just absolutely flopped. Yeah. And there's so yeah. many people, there's so many people who are just out here trying to fix things when they haven't had a conversation with someone who is affected by whatever it is, whatever the atrocity is, the injustice, um, you know, or, or whatever, right? And no one's having those conversations with individuals to be like, what do you need? What would help? What would, you know, like, what what does change look like for you all, right? And, uh, and, and we're missing the boat on having that conversation. I feel like that example ties into a lot of what you were just, you were, you were just sharing, right? Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is that, you know, if you can't, uh, you know, Lenny uh, from, you know, our, our boy Lenny from Trill or Not Trill, he always talks about um, his grandmother he used to say, you know, what when you come to the dinner table, you got to bring something with you, right? And that doesn't mean that you have to bring this, the, the, the turkey and it doesn't mean that you have to bring the mac and cheese. Sometimes you just got to bring some napkins or you've got to bring some utensils or you've got to bring the tablecloth. And that's what happens, right, is that we think that we can just show up to dinner and just pull up and say, I'm here to eat. And what's good? And that's not how it works. Right. You got to be able to. That's why I love potlucks. Right. Potlucks to me are the best because it starts to put you in a place where you're just like, I can't show up empty handed. I have to contribute to this community situation. And even if that means I got to go buy an Entenmann's cake, take it out of the plastic, take it out of the box, slice it up and put it in my own little container and be like, listen, it's Entenmann's, but it looks nice. Then, or, or, or front, like it's my cake, whatever. Right. It's just like, yo, we, I'm here to, to contribute something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many people today, man, they just want to either show up and be like, I bought, I bought dinner for everybody. That's just not, you know, you buying dinner for everybody. That's just the same thing. Like, you know, at the diner, it's just like, we're not here to, we're not here just to eat, man. You know what I mean? We're not here just to consume the food that you got us. Like we're here to build. And, um, and I think that's exactly what happened with like things like with these major organizations that are dumping all this money into these communities. They just don't, they don't care about anything beyond the dollar. Right. It's a flex. It's performative right. flex, man. Yeah. yeah. 
big performative, yeah, performative allyship at its finest. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's interesting though, because when we think about having conversations with folks and starting to get out there, right. And starting to put ourselves in conversations that we've never been in before. Um, there's a lot of insecurity that happens. Um, but, uh, just in, you know, in general, when we're, when we're kind of not known to each other, um, there's a lot of insecurity that happens and people kind of show up, you know, walls up, what's going to happen. Am I going to be accepted? What's going on? Am I in the wrong place? Are people going to think that I'm, that I'm trying to be something that I'm not, or people thinking that I'm trying to come in here and do the wrong thing, right thing, whatever. There's just all these thoughts that swirl world. Um, and the biggest thing, and this is something that you and I both love to talk about. Um, the biggest thing is just showing up as you, like, how can we show up as fellow human beings talking to fellow human beings? Like you said earlier, right? It's not about uh, being some hero who's going to come in and save the day. People don't need saving. And the fact that you look at people like they need saving, quite frankly, is extremely rude, right? <laughs> and, and you just missed it. You have missed it, right? And so right. take your cape off, Superman, right? And like, let's have a conversation, right? And so... That authenticity is something that we have always bonded over in the way that we communicate to other folks, because we've yep. seen the way that people show up when you are your authentic self, as opposed to when you're trying to show up as something that you're not, right? We all know the phrase, fake it till you make it. But if yeah. all you ever do is fake it, you never really make it. And we Talk see that time and time again with these folks trying to have these conversations, but they're not having them from an authentic place. They're having them from a who can I write the check to? How can I save this? Or how can I whatever, right? Or I'm not the problem. I got a soul. I got a, I got a gay friend. I got an Asian girlfriend. I got it, right? Like I know everything. Um, they're missing it. They're missing it. And the authenticity, uh, the authenticity is powerful. And that's something that you speak a lot to, uh, speak a lot about as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's like this. So uh, some tips, right? I'll give you all some tips if you're having those, those anxiety filled space uh spaces and it's real like that's a real that's a real and actual thing and the first thing that you really have to do is it's really two basic things number one is you know can you find somebody who can walk you into the room with right so it's harder to walk into these spaces as a complete stranger because it's just impossible for you to to it's 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 very close to impossible for you to really engage unless somebody can vouch for you. And it doesn't have to be a strong vouch, but just somebody who's just like, hey, this is Jeff. And then you then have to, at that point, just shut up. <laughs> just shut up and listen and watch and learn and observe. Like, like you said, it's not Superman. This is just fall back. I'm a guest in y'all home and I just want to be a part of this group. And then you... Like double Dutch, I always talk about double Dutch. Then you have to find an opportunity to, you know, let me see. Let me see. Ha, and then you jump in. You know what I'm saying? Like you got it right. You watch the rope and you're just like, all right, who got it? Boom. And then you jump right in. And that's where we have to really get. That's that's how you become a real person that can change the game. Like, you know, I I, I watched there is some pictures, some meme that was going on, and it was like these these men, all of these like 20 men were the the men who made the decision on women's reproductive systems. And I'm just like, there's not a woman in the room. I'm like, how are we having conversations about women and there's no women in the room? How can you have conversations about black people with no black people in the room? How do you have these conversations without the voices in the room? Not only should the voices be in the room, they should be the majority of the voices in the room. Mm -hmm. And in those spaces, you just have to shut up. I remember 
when we were working together. I, I think it was, I don't know if you were there, but I was working at um, at NJCU and uh, I got invited. This might have been after you. I was invited to a Muslim Students Association meeting. And, you know, so I walk in there and there's black people in the room. There's young people, there's all types of people in the room. So I'm not, I'm not an unfamiliar looking face. And I sit back and I have no clue that I'm, you know, the men are supposed to sit on this side. The women are supposed to sit on this side. The, the, this is the prayer before the, like all of these things. And I could have easily came in there. What's up, everybody? Hi, I'm the director. of What's going on? I just sat back and said, I'm, I'm a guest here and let me just watch what's going on. And then I, I was like, y'all going to have to bring, somebody's going to have to bring me in. I'll say something, but if y'all bring me in and then they did something and they were like, they did an icebreaker and it was like, Jeff, do you want to? And I was like, yes. And I was like, all right, icebreakers. I know how to do that. Let's go. Let's play. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's play this game. And then it was like, boom, let's have conversations. Let's do this. And then you know what ends up happening? It informs your decisions because I was planning to do a program to bring in um, this Muslim documentary about, I forget what it was. Um, and then I had, I was like, listen, I'm going to do this. But then before I did it, I said, you know, let me talk to these students first. And then when I spoke to the students, they were like, yeah, you know, I don't think this is going to be a, a, a documentary that's going to be appreciated by our community. But here are some other options of things that might work. And I was just like, thank God that I talked to them first because I would have played that and I would have been mad at somebody for not coming to my program, yeah. not recognizing that I was actually probably offending somebody or not presenting people in the right light. But yeah, that's that. Or people get defensive in that place, right? And they're like, right. like you should, you should thank me for trying, right? Like I'm trying, right. to, I'm trying to help you here clearly, right? Right. Like people get real defensive sometimes in that place. Right. I'm just trying to, I was just trying to I was just trying to support them. I was <laughs> trying to help them, man. And now they mad at me. And now you get into this space that's just toxic as as all what. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's a beautiful example. I know I felt that I felt that way when I joined the gospel choir at Clemson. You know, I was just super excited to be, I love to sing and uh, singing is therapy for me. So even if I wasn't necessarily down with the religion side of it, as, as hard as some of the other individuals were, uh, singing is my church. Singing is spiritual to me, right? And, and it takes me to a cool place. And so I don't really often care what the words are um, as long as they're not atrocious um but uh and so but it was just like no i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna sing like this is what i'm gonna do now um, right? there was this the moment <laughs> what'd you say i said you have a lovely voice by the way oh, thank, thanks thanks no, yes, um <laughs> shout out to the karaoke um so um but uh but it was until this moment like maybe maybe like two months in and I had, a, I had an RA who was in the gospel choir. And so he vouched for me. So that's what, you know, enabled me to kind of come through and sit down, but not a lot of people talked to me. And I was like, that's okay. You know, that's, I'm not, I'm not going to force myself into conversations. I'm not going to, you know, tell everybody, well, I went, I went through uh, four levels of, uh, of diversity training. So I think I deserve to be in the building here. Um, right. And it's like, no, let me just sit here. And, uh, and there came a time where they broke us up into parts to make sure everybody was on point. And uh, they broke us up and said, there were three of us over there. And it was the first time that the whole gospel choir heard me sing. And in that exact moment, I learned that white boy was a compliment because everybody's like, oh, okay, white boy. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, and it was this beautiful moment. And from that time on, it was totally different when I saw those folks around campus or whatnot. But uh, yeah, you got you got the double Dutch analogy is perfect of like, you know, you got wait for your moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you wait for that moment, you know, when you jump in into double Dutch, it's not just you're aimlessly jumping in. Right. It's like you're watching the rope. You're timing the rope. You're waiting for the rhythm. You're watching other people. You're waiting for people to encourage you. If you've never jumped rope before, there's somebody that's just like now, now, now. Now, like, you know, that support system. So it's just like you can't just run aimlessly into a rope. You got to really just time it and work with it and feel it and love. You know what I mean? I just love yeah. Double Dutch for that reason. And and uh, it just works in so many conversations because we are we 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 want to just do that. Like this world lends itself to just jumping in. Right. Just go post this. Say that. Tweet this. Talk. You, just go. Just go. And. That's not how it works, man. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not, you're not going to win. You're, you know, your heart's not going to grow like that and your community's not going to develop if you're just aimlessly always just powering through and, and not doing the work. Yep. And that hashtag, that black square should not absolve you <laughs> of of the work, right? Like, so oh I get it. The opposite, I think the opposite of waiting timing for double dutch is is that moment where you walk into a spider web that you didn't know was there. <laughs> man, right? that's like, like one of the seven scariest happened. things, man. That's just like heart. <laughs> I'm like scared just thinking about that, man. I definitely I just it. shuddered. <laughs> So one of the most powerful things that you do, Jeff, that I've always respected you for um, is, is, uh, is you focus a lot on the power of relatability, the power of relatability and relatability is important because when we see ourselves in someone else, we believe that we can, right? It's a really powerful tool. And so, um, uh, so for you, you know, you, uh, whenever, whenever we, I, I made the jokes about it earlier in your introduction, but like you and I would legit like come through looking, looking crispy, fresh into work and not crispy, fresh, like crazy three piece suits, perfectly ironed. It was like, no, we're, we're coming in, you know, me, me and my Kangles. I had a, a, an unfortunately large Kangol collection. Um, right. And I'm, I'm matching the Kangles with my sneakers and, and the little yeah. polo horse. Right. And, uh, and you're coming in. You have more blazers than than uh, than JC Penny, um, and way and way better also. And, uh, and you're like, and but like we would show up, and, and and we would show up in a place that was it was a conversation piece. But uh, you know, and, and you would always be rocking, uh, you'd always be rocking Jays, or uh, obviously your your world famous Prestos, um, or, or whatnot. And so uh, you know, and I and I wore a bunch of different kinds of sneakers too. Or but it was beautiful. It was beautiful because it sparked conversation um, and not in a negative way, right? Not like, yo, you're looking sloppy, um, but talk a little bit about why you made that choice to kind of dress the way you did and kind of carry yourself the way you did and, you know, in the workplace. Yeah. You know, I, number one reason is because I work with students and I just think, you know, they're the number one reason why I'm there. And for me to not be, a person that can stand out to students. I didn't care what I look like. I didn't care about what the dean said behind closed doors about my suits and my jackets or my what. I didn't care about any of that. I cared about what the students were thinking about. So when the students saw like, man, this guy's rocking some Chucks or some Jordans or some sneakers with his with his green blazer with some green Prestos, I'm like, yo, I want to like talk to that guy. And for me, 
the main reason was because of students. That's that's number one. I think like, you know, you got to be you You, like this. I don't know why we're always so afraid to be ourselves fully. I know why. I know exactly why we're afraid to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the thing that we have to start to embrace even more. And, you know, that was years ago. And, you know, even before I worked with you, I was at another institution previous to that. And I used to have a big afro. And I had a boss that used to tell me like, yo, you know, um, you, you know, if you keep wearing this afro, you're never going to grow as a professional. You're never going to you're never going to find other positions. You know that. Right. And I was like, I, I don't know if that's true, man. I'm just letting you know, if you want to move up the ranks here, then this is what you have to do. And then, you know what happened? I didn't get a job. I remember I applied for a promotion there, didn't get the job. And that boss was the one who made the decision. And I I ended up resigning. Like, literally, I didn't get the job. They gave it to somebody who was like had less experience. It was like this big conversation. And I just left. I said, you know what? I'm out. Because that's I, I I'm not going to stand for that, and that's how I got to 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 NJCU. And when I got there, that was another thing too, right? So you being who you were was important as well, because it made me say, "Listen, there's somebody else here that's wearing purple shoes." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "Well, if he's wearing purple shoes, then I'm busting out <laughs> the collection as well," you know. And that's and that to me, I think is one why we got along so well. But also why students resonated with us as well. You know what I'm saying? And 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 that's important. And so yeah, so I mean for me, the reason why I did it was because of students. And I also want to just embrace my authentic self. We live in a world where we are always told, don't wear your hair like this, don't put those types of earrings on. Why do you have, you know, um your 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 colorful pants on and things like that? But it doesn't matter if you're doing a good job, because at the end of the day, that's really what matters. You know, if I wasn't if I was doing a really poor job and i was wearing like you know orange pants then i can see like yo listen man you need to put some more effort in your work and less in your pants and <laughs> in your outfits you know what i'm saying but yeah. when you you wear whatever you want that's what i tell people i'm like if you're really dope at what you do you can wear whatever you want you could pull up into whatever meeting you want if your work is that good and you know i not to toot my own horn, but the work was really good. I really took my time to cultivate good work so that I could have even more room to do that type of, uh, to wear those type of clothes and be that, that type of style. Yeah. It goes back to that iconic uh, Steve Martin quote, right? Of be undeniably good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's yeah. kind of, I mean, what we're talking about right now is a little bit about what the book is about, correct? Mm-hmm. We wear, we wear uh, kicks to work. Um, why is this such an important topic that you were like, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm writing a book. Like, you know, because it's one thing to be like, this is how I carry myself. It's another thing to be like, nah, no, we're, we're writing a whole book about this. Tell me, tell us a little more about like, why does it matter so much that the book? Needed yeah. Out? Yeah. You know, let me, let me tell you, James, I'll tell you, I'll keep it a hundred why we wrote the book, right? The book was written because educators don't have swag, right? And they just, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of them don't, a lot of them don't. My peers, my friends, my colleagues, a lot of them don't have swag or they're hiding their swag because they feel as if they can't represent it in an educational setting and we wear kicks to work you know the subtitle is when pop culture and leadership uh interject right when those two worlds come together and the reason when pop culture and education leadership uh meet there you go i have to learn my own title (laughs) and um so the reason why you know, we are, we're not, we're never the coolest people in the room because the students are, but we're still cool. 
You know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing. And we wear kicks to work tells every educator from top to bottom it is okay to bring some 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 energy into these students' lives. It's okay to be your authentic self and not hide certain things. It's okay to have conversations about, you know, sneakers or or Taylor Swift or the Knicks or whatever. You can do that. You're allowed to do that. And mm-hmm. don't hide that. You're allowed to put that in your curriculums. You're allowed to make sure that the students are allowed to talk about it too because, you know, the text is really culturally responsive based. So therefore, the students' voices are entrenched in all of the work that we do. So if you're not bringing that to the table, then you're not doing a good job. And I just hate seeing like educators who don't have it trying to be their best, trying to, you know, educators that don't have it trying to um to, to to show these students what's what what it means to be a good student i'm like y'all don't even know what are you what are we doing you're not even being yourself but you're telling this kid to be themselves mm-hmm. now nah, that's not how it works so when you know when we wear kicks to work was written it was really all about that so the book has all that we talk about things from marshawn lynch to um <laughs> marshawn lynch to cardi b to Jordans, you know what I'm saying? And and I think it's just essential, you know, for us to be able to integrate all of those things into the work that we do from hip hop to to movies and and all that. And sometimes even one thing I want to say is also it was important for us also to write this because I think people see Trill or Not Trill in part because of our name, but they see myself as well and my and in the organization as individuals who are just hip hop. And you know, we get placed in this box especially black people who love pop culture get placed in this box that box that the only thing that you like about pop culture is basketball and rap. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, you know, my favorite TV shows is still Seinfeld. It's still, you know, my second favorite TV show is the different world. And my third favorite TV show is the office. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm here, I'm watching all of these things and I, you know, I, and, and y'all are just going to have to recognize that it's okay for us to be our authentic selves at all times, all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm and not. You wrote a book too. Sorry, James, but you wrote a book about authenticity. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you you know you know the work too. So that's why I just think like it's essential for us to just be who we are. Like let's cut it out. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And when you when you are who you are, also you start to see the realness of people, and that allows you to either say you know this person is a sucker or not. I you know what I mean? I want us to be authentic. I love. When people are themselves, you know what I'm saying? When people are like wildly racist, I'm happy that you're wildly racist because now I know that you're wildly racist. Or I love when people are like wildly, you know, encouraging because now I know this is somebody that I can go to that's going to help me, you know, encourage others. So, mm-hmm. you know, be yourself so that it's also um, an eye opener for all of us that are around you. Yeah. yeah 100%. Uh, 100%. It also gives people permission it gives people permission to not carry around all of this pressure and all of this burden, right? You're literally, you're like on the, on the release valve and you're giving people the thing. It was like, Hey, just, just drop your shoulders. Like, yeah. we, we good. Right. Like you'll know, crack your neck one or two times. Um, yeah. And like, and what a gift to give to others to be like, listen, I, you know, I see what you're trying to do, but we ain't, we ain't trying to do that here. 
right? And like, <laughs> you know, as far as like, we're not putting on a show, you can just show up however you want to show up. Uh, like I've had, I've had a place where I, a, a, a corporate event that I had to speak at and, and I showed up wearing a bow tie, looking, looking fresh with a tie, uh, with the tie and the blazer and the slacks and the nice shoes. And the guy pulled me aside and he was like, listen, man, can you, uh, can you do me a favor? You lose the tie. You're, you're just going to turn a lot of people off. We don't really do that around here. And I was like, thank you. Right. <laughs> right. Like what a gift. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, some of those moments are really powerful and it's just a gift to give to somebody else that like, Hey, just show up as you like you're, you're exactly where you need to be right now. Yes. We're going to continue to work. Yes. We're going to continue to hustle, but you're right where you need to be right now. And don't think anything less of that because otherwise you're going to start showing up uh, you know, with, with perfectionism uh, on the brain, control on the brain, and, uh, and and inauthenticity on the brain, and it's just not going to work. Yeah, and 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 like you said, I'm, I'm, that's really beautiful that that guy told you that, right? Because you know, then you're in a you're in a tough you're in a tough spot. So, you know, I, I we've traveled both of us and have met in higher ed, particularly so many people who are just marginalized because they can't be themselves and they're afraid to talk about who they are and they can't be who they want to be in a room because of a supervisor or because of a boss. And we've probably both have worked for people like that who are just like, don't be you and don't be you. And you is a problem and you is not a problem. You know what I'm saying? You is not a problem. Like you is who you are. So let's, let's be our best selves. And that's how you gain the trust of others. You know, you can't work in a business with people and not be a person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that brings me, uh, brings up an interesting point, Jeff, because I have always, I've always admired you. I think you know that I've told you that before. If this is the first time you've heard it, then get over yourself. Um, No, (laughs) just playing. No, this is the first time you heard it, man. Seriously, please hear that. Um, But I have always, I've always admired you um, and the way that you carry yourself and, there's been parts of you that I've always that I've that I've looked up to because you know you talked about it before, right? We have this we have this swagger and swagger um, you know, swagger equals confidence, right? <clears throat> um, and so uh, like it goes back to that old line uh, in hip hop, whereas uh, you know I'm not. Uh, I'm not cocky. I'm confident. So when you tell me I'm the best, it's a compliment. And right. uh, and so uh, you carry yourself with this great swagger and confidence, and uh, you're always put together. And in many ways, you feel unshakable. But I know that's not true. That can't be true, obviously, um, right? As a fellow human being, um, and that's not who you show. You don't necessarily project this person that's always perfect, but you are very wise, right? You're very, uh, the way that you speak, uh, others gravitate towards it. And it's really beautiful. Um, But I've often wondered, I've often wondered about you, like, what are those moments where you're like, yo, I'm actually kind of nervous about this. Like, what are are some insecurities that you have that you carry around that, uh, that, you know, that sometimes show up for you? Do you have anything like that? No, I don't have any at all. No, I'm just kidding. Great. All right, cool. Um, Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. (laughs) Um, You know, I'll tell you a couple. So number one is I get nervous every time I'm about to speak. Literally, I, I'm, I'm still nervous. I was nervous before coming on to this. And I'm like, I'm about to just talk to my friend and, 
and we're gonna have a really cool conversation. And I was still like, oh, you know, you get this like tingle, and I get that before every talk at a speech tonight, right before this, and same thing, like all these energies. Are, so I'm still nervous about that because, and I think that nerve comes from, you know, I I really am, I I I really want to help people. I really want to help people. Mm-hmm. And I get really nervous that I'm not helping enough. And I know that sounds like this weird, like interview job interview answer. But I just like, work so hard. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm so passionate that I just can't, you know, um, but I really get scared sometimes that I'm not doing the job well enough. Mm-hmm. And that's always been something for me. That's number one is that, you know, I grew up in a Haitian household and growing up in a Haitian household, you know, education was number one and success was number two. It's just be your best. We're going to have to fight through all of this. We're fighters and we're, and I just always used to think, man, I don't know if I'm doing it. I'm not doing it well enough. And I used to, Mm -hmm. and I still have that feeling every now and then, but you know, it, it, for so many years, I was just like, man, I probably should have done this. I should have done this. Why did I go this route? And, you know, I remember I was a rapper for a long time and I was just like, you know, I should have never quit rapping because that was going to be it. And then I was a spoken word artist and it was successful in that space. And then I stopped doing that. And I was like, man, that was supposed to be it. And I always felt as if those were things that I dropped the ball on, you know, and I always feel like, um, I always felt like, this wasn't, I, I missed it. I missed, I missed my mark. And that was, that, that was scary. It was scary, man. It was scary. Cause then you get caught in this space where you're just like, damn, I did all this and this is where I am, man, I was supposed to do this. And you know, I was like a super star leader in college and I was supposed to ascend into these things. And you know, five years later, later you're working as a, a hall director at a college and you're just thinking like, damn, did I go to school to be a hall director? And there's no shade to being a hall director. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, you're living on a college campus. You're not making the money you want. You're not reaching the audience. You thought you could, you, you went to, I went to grad school. I'm just thinking like, damn, I can't believe it. And then it, then the game changed a little bit and it really wasn't until recently, right? Really wasn't until recently that I said, you know what? I think you're on the, I think you're doing okay. But that for me, James, has always been the things was the fear that I just wasn't doing enough and I, I wasn't hitting my mark and and making people proud and, and and you know, hope, hoping and, you know, and, and social media came along and then social media doubled downs on that. It makes you feel like, damn, how come this person is is has more followers or man, how come this person gets to speak on like the breakfast club? And here I am, you yeah. know, writing. So, you know, what I mean, and it was yeah. just so. That was it, man. I mean, that's my biggest insecurity. And it, it exists a little bit still. Yeah. Is that, you know, I'm not going to reach and and make the impact that um that I that I I know I have the ability to. But you know, now I believe it. You know, I think it's just, you know, now I know. I know I, I have it and it's just keep going and you'll get it. And you know, at yeah. the end of the day, you start to realize that your impact of one person is so much more. It's, it's so it's so valuable. And and I tell that story because the reason I'll tell you this is and this is how to close this piece real quick is that for me, it was reading about Harriet Tubman and mm-hmm. and Harriet Tubman. I found out if you were to guess, I always ask people, how many trips do you think Harriet Tubman made throughout the uh, her time on the Underground Railroad? Like how many visits or trips did she make back and forth? If you had to take a uh, guess, like 10 to 15, right? 10 to 15, 
right? So 10 to 15 to me was sounds low, right? Mm-hmm. In my heart, I was like, she had to make 50 easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? In her time, I mean, she had to make, and it, she made under 20 trips. So you're right. Like, you know what I mean? She made like about 17 to 20 trips, 12 the to only 20. Reason I, like the only reason I guess 10 to 15 is because you set it up in the way you did. And I was like, it's like no that, way right? as high as I actually think it is. So let me try right. prices right the number. I'll go low so I can still get credit. $1. You know? <laughs> One dollar, uh, Bobby. One dollar. And one uh, <laughs> one <trip>. um, yeah, <laughs> but I said one trip. She made one trip. Oh, you're right. You didn't go over. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like once I learned that, I was like, damn. You know what? She only made one. She only made that many trips. And when I learned that, I was like, man. Then you know, your legacy means more than what you think it is. And that's where I started to gain a little bit more confidence and start to understand, like, it's okay not to be here because here, wherever you are, up, down, middle, it counts that much more. So, you know, that's how I kind of was able to get out of that. But that that was it for a very, very long time. I was like, man, I didn't make it. I'm I'm curious, man. Thank you for your vulnerability. Just like Deb said, Um, thank you for your your vulnerability in that moment. Um, But I'm I'm curious to go to go one layer deeper. How um, how did it show up? Like, how did like how did that manifest itself in your work? Was it? I'm, you know, I'm gonna do what I can, but then when I get home, I'm gonna beat myself up because I didn't do enough. Is it uh, like, you know, were you waiting for someone to say, "Hey, I'm proud of you"? Like, like what, like what were some of those things that you that you would do in those in some of those tougher times? Yeah, well, number one was comparing myself to others, and that was the first thing. So I would come home, and then I would look at other people's work and just be beating myself up. Like you said, thinking like, and not, and I don't know if I beat myself up as much as I would get jealous and get angry. And I yep. found myself just being mad at like these other speakers or not even speakers at the time, but these other writers and these other figures. And I'm just like, how did he get this? That's not fair. I'm better than him. And you start to look at your, your ego starts to kick up. And then you just get in this really dark space where you're just not even thinking about the things that you need to do or want to do, but you're thinking about other people Mm -hmm. and you don't know what their journey was. I had no clue what these people's journeys were, but I was just like, you know, and then you start to doubt yourself. And then, you know, what happens is you start to go do things that you probably shouldn't be doing. So then you, you know, you get to a point where like, man, maybe I should be a rapper again. And then you go write some rhymes and you start doing some thing. And you're just like, I don't know if I'm as good as I once was 10, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago. And then, you know, you go write some some books. And, you know, let me tell you, I've written five, now six books. And I'll tell you the story. So my first book I wrote was called Do Not Hold Doors. And it crushed. I was like, it was independently published. I I had a speaking tour. I was all over the country going to colleges, uh, all these poetry joints nationwide. And I was like, yo, I'm that dude. I told y'all I was nice and nobody could see me. (laughs) Then I got a little crazy, right? And I don't want to say crazy. Then I got a little funky with it. And my second book was called, and this is where it started to go, started to get weird, Jay. So the second book was called Haiku from the Home of Reverend Mofo Jones, right? Mm, yeah, yep. <laughs> and I said, I'm gonna write a book of haikus, haiku poems, and then that, I mean, you know, so that first book I sold probably like five thousand independent copies, and I was like rocking. That second book, I think I sold literally eighty, and I was just like, wow, okay. <laughs> Shout out to mom though. Shout out to right, mom. mom bought fourteen of them, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, damn, this this kind of sucks. And then I wrote a third book called uh, We Can See Your Privates. 
And surprisingly, no. Yeah, right. (laughs) Another book of haikus. Surprisingly, I don't know if 10 people bought that book. It was just like nobody bought it. And now I'm like looking at myself thinking like, damn, you know, this is not. And you just start to get into this place where you're just like you start to create things that you think are good, but you're not doing it in the essence of why you're supposed to be doing the work. And that's and that's what it is. You just get caught up, man. So I just remember being so down on myself and just being like, man, I shouldn't write poetry anymore. And, you know, we were talking about that offline, right, about poetry. And I used to and that was it. Like, do, uh, we can see your privates was like, I'm done. I'm not writing poems again ever. And I stopped. And then I wrote a book called Deconstructing Ratchet. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun. I, and I had so much fun writing that, but it, was, but it did okay, but it was still a book of haikus. So I wrote that book and I was just like, all right, maybe, maybe not. But then I was like, man, I'm done. I'm done with poetry again because I just didn't have the energy. I didn't see the success. I started writing, watching my other peers who were like on good. I remember watching a friend of mine on good morning America and just being so angry that they were performing on good morning America. And I go back and thinking like, man, you know, I was rocking with you back in the day. I went to school with J. Cole and I remember doing open mics with J. Cole and just looking at him. And now, you know, for years, I'm like, damn, I can't believe if I kept rapping what I have been J. Cole, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where you exist in that in those spaces. You know, for those that are you that are listening and watching, you got to that's how you got to get out of there. You got to get out of that comparison. You got to run your own race. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, that's why they say they put the the the, the, the covers on the horses faces right because they don't want to they don't want the horses to know how the other horses are doing just run your race and if you run your race at its best you'll be successful and you'll be great and you'll impact and i wasn't thinking like that at all man i was like take these flaps off my eyes i need to see who is doing what and um and I, you know it's just you don't and then you don't produce your you don't produce your best if you're thinking about other people mm-hmm. you know what i mean and um so that's how i dealt it i was just like mad it was a lot of anger a lot of like just jealousy and um and you had to just really sit back and say you know what let me just do this on my own and let me do this with my people and let me rock out because that's what's going to work but the moment but that was it was hard man it was really tough because i you know when you believe that you're great you know what i'm saying because you think that you're great <laughs> then that's the only reason that you that you that you believe that you're great not because you've done anything that's worthwhile or or because people are feeding you some some things then it just, you know, it crushes you, man. But, you know, you got to run your own. You got to run your own. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, I never thought about the horse blinders. That's a really powerful analogy, like run your own race. I like I like that one. I'm probably going to steal it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's not mine. So, I mean, you can have it. I don't know. Good. Stole, right, cool, cool. stole it from somebody um, else. <laughs> uh, so, but, um, uh but it it's interesting because you know something you and I have have touched a little bit on in our conversations, and I I love to talk about on here is this concept of legacy, um, and and legacy is legacy is powerful. Um, and me, you know, I mean, I think for me, I often uh, struggle with this balance between being present and and also legacy, being present and also legacy. It's, it's a tough thing because I I don't want to miss a moment, but at the same time, what am I building towards? What am I building for? Um, and uh, and it's tough because uh, every single thing that comes out, like like uh, I mean, this podcast 
is dropping next week, right? Again, I don't know Ooh. when this episode's going to air and we'll find out. Um, but like this podcast is dropping next week and I'm like, okay, here's how I can get on iTunes new and noteworthy. Okay, here's how I can get onto this list and how can I yeah. work this system and how can I do this and how can I do that, right? And And it's like, and it's also like, okay, well, look at this podcast. They did this and they have this, so I should do that. And you just start to... Uh, you start to try to run somebody else's race, like you said. Yep. And it's not going to work, right? Like businesses that are created to beat other businesses aren't successful. Businesses that are created because there's a problem that they're excited about solving are successful, right? Yeah. Um, and But if the problem that you're trying to solve is that you want to beat this other business, that's not going to work, right? Bitterness is never the end game. And so, uh, so when we think about this moment – of what are we chasing? What are we, what are we going after? Um, uh, there's, a, there's a story that I'm reminded of that I think uh, Jimmy V told, uh, a former N- NC State coach and, and some others, where he talks about this greyhound. You're talking about horses, I'll talk about doggies. So, um, so there's this greyhound, and the greyhound's winning all these races, right? It's incredible. The top of its class, it's amazing. It wins all of these races. And, uh, and then one day, the greyhound just quits cold turkey. Like, ah, I'm done. And the owner's like, whoa, 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 what, what? <laughs> like, like, what's the matter? Like, are you, like, are you happy? And the Greyhound's like, yeah, I'm good. Is the Greyhound's like, and the owner's like, well, don't you like winning? And the Greyhound's like, yeah, I love, I love winning. I'm very good at what I do. And the owner's like, well, well, don't I treat you right? Is it, is it me? And the guy's like, no, I love you. You're my best friend. No, this is a great relationship. And the, and the owner's like, so what is it? And the Greyhound's like, I just found out that that little white rabbit that I chase around the track isn't real. And it's this beautiful moment of what are we chasing, right? And if we're chasing, and this is a story that I'm now telling myself as a, you know, I'm a pharmacist. I give out the drugs, but now I'm going to try to take one too, um, right? And this is that whose approval am I chasing? Whose validation am I seeking in order to believe that I have made it, that I am successful, that this product is good enough, that my book is good enough, that any of those kind of things. Um, and, uh, and it's a tough place to be when you think about, you know, what is the place that we're trying to leave in this world? Because yes, the lives that we impact on one-on-one bases are really beautiful and powerful and it matters. Um, but I also know that I'm excited to impact more than one person, but who am I to be like, that's not good enough that you only impacted one life. It's a fascinating balance in my head of what's going on and how do we determine uh, that we are on the right authentic path and doing it for the right reason. Uh, and, and a lot of times there's just so many things with, like you mentioned, social media, it just, it just clouds up the vision and yeah. uh, it's, it's complicated for sure. Yeah. You know, somebody once told me, um, somebody once told me, they said, what's the, who came first Hilton or Marriott? Do you know? I do not. I have no idea, right? I have no clue either. And so the reason I tell that story is because, you know, Hilton didn't stop because Marriott existed. And Marriott didn't stop because, who I don't know, the, whoever came second wasn't like, well, Hilton's there, so we're done. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They, 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 they continue to do it. But here's the thing. Here's how we flip it. So Hilton and Marriott, whoever came second, continued to do the work, continued to build. And then they just started, listen, we're, we're the same. I'm first, you're second. I'm second, you're first, right? Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening next is that it starts to, the legacy starts to look 
one exact type of way. And then that's where we run into problems. But then here's what happened. I don't know who came first, uh, Marriott or Hilton. But I'll tell you who's here now, and that's Airbnb, right? And now this is where the game changes. Hotels are going to probably be around forever. They'll be around. They'll be but fine. They'll be all right. Airbnb is also going that, – that, the idea of Airbnb is also going to be here forever now as well. If you think about legacy, there's two ways to create the legacy. Your legacy is either you look at the path that somebody else has created and said, I'm going to be as excellent as you are. And I'm going to be part of that excellence. So that doesn't mean sometimes you think the legacy has to be completely different than, you know, I have to be my own individual self. That's not always true. You know, you're not always going to be the first author. You're not going to be the first speaker. You're not going to be the first hotel chain. So, but you can't be, your legacy won't be amazing, won't be left unless you're as excellent as those folks, right? Because whatever that fourth tier hotel is, we don't know. We don't know them, but we know Hilton, we know Marriott and what, maybe Sheridan, right? Maybe we know those three. I don't even know. Sheridan's probably not, you know, but anyhow, (laughs) right? But you know, sponsored by Marriott and Hilton, by the way. Okay. There it is. Right. So there you go. I'm trying to get you to sponsorship right here, man. Right. So. So you you can do that. So if you go that route of of borrowing ideas and being like somebody else, you better be the best at it as well. Where people don't know which one of you came first. That's how good you are. I don't know who came first, but I know that they're both monsters. So there's that route. Your other legacy is you become Airbnb, where you fill in, you say, this is wrong, that's wrong, that doesn't work, this doesn't help people, people can use this, I can create that, I'm different. And then you just become this dynamo that completely shifts the game. And there was a point where Airbnb was it, right? Airbnb was 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 it, was making more money than some of these hotel chains, right? So that's one of the things that you have to really look at, is like, I have to be so different that I shifted the entire game, right? That it would with disruptive innovation, yeah. as they call it. You got to be somebody that says, man, I've never seen anything like this. And that's how I think. I think in that route. I think of the route of, I hear y'all, I like this, but I'm about to be so different than everybody else. But that doesn't condemn the people who are not like everybody else. There's somebody who watches Tony Robbins and says, I'm going to be the next Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But you better be the next Tony Robbins. Because if you're not, then you're going to fall short of that legacy. And that legacy is always that much harder to do because you are always chasing that white rabbit that's not really real. You know what I'm saying? You'll never catch Tony Robbins because he's Tony Robbins, and that's going to be hard to do. But you can always be yourself. And But when you're yourself, you have the opportunity to change the world even more. So I like legacy in two different frameworks. But for me, the real legacy is that is that second one where you just change the game. And, you know, are people talking about you? And that's the, the common thing about legacy, right? Are people talking about you after you left the room? Right. You know what I mean? And to me, you got to always be thinking about your legacy. Every time I speak, legacies on my mind. Every mm-hmm. time I, I do a, an, any action, legacies on my mind. If I'm writing a word down, I'm thinking about my legacy. Like in this conversation, I'm thinking, when if you watch this conversation, you're going to be thinking about, man, this guy, the, I'm, the legacy's part of it. I'm, so when you when people hear me speak, I'm always like on a hundred. Like I'm always, I feel like I'm always yelling. I'm always just passionate because yeah. I, I, this is big stakes for me. You know what I mean? Like conversations are big stakes for me. This is not just, let's just 
have this talk. I'm trying to change your life, and I'm hoping that you can change my life in the same way. It's reciprocal. You know what I mean? So for for me, that's the work. You can't be out here thinking that everything is average. You know what I'm saying? I, the late Kobe Bryant, I used to always think about, you know, from a fan's perspective, I used to watch Kobe and just be like, man, I feel like this guy's arrogant or I feel like he's, he's you know, not that. But then you hear the stories of other players and they're like, yeah, I loved Kobe Bryant because of X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. And there's this famous Allen Iverson story that I just heard where Allen Iverson came into town and Kobe Bryant was like, all right, I'm, I picked him up from the airport and said to Allen Iverson, where are you going? And Allen Iverson said, I'm about to go to the club. He said to Kobe, what are you about to do? And Kobe said, I'm about to go to the gym. Do you know what I'm saying? And you get to that point where you're just like, damn. Now, Iverson and Kobe are both monsters. I, I, I'd go to the club and I'd go to the gym. Sure, but yeah. the, thing, the thing that is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I've done both, right? And, but the thing is, is that if, you lo- like, if you're not thinking about your legacy like all the time, then, then you're not ready to think about legacy yet. It's okay. You're not there yet. But that's how you know you're thinking about your legacy is that every time I have a conversation with my mom, with a student, with the, 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 the front desk of the mailman, the, the cafeteria worker, I'm thinking about how can I impact your life and how can I be how do I how do I create this space that's going to help me? Because that's my legacy, man. My legacy, James, is about being making sure that other people can be change agents, making sure that our people can find their voice and elevate it in however way they want to. And that's it. That's the only reason I do what I do every single day with yeah. my loved ones, with my partner, with my family, with anybody, anyone. It's just like I'm thinking about our future, you know what I'm saying, as, as a world. Mm-hmm. And that's the legacy. It's just like y'all are going to remember me, man. And and you're going to remember me because I'm impacting Mike, who impacted Jane, who impacted Lou, who impacted, you know what I'm saying? And that's mm-hmm. that's how the world works. So, you know, it's it's hard. But that's work. You know, we're not here to just always sleep and play. That's fun, too. But sometimes you got to do a little work, man. And that work is is a legacy is when you start to say, listen, this is about it every day. I eat, sleep and and drink the thought of my legacy. Yeah. And yeah, well, and last thing I'll say, sorry, James. Please, and last no, thing man. I'll say about that is that that's where that's why it was tough. Right. Because, you know, to go back in the conversation about some of those vulnerabilities was that when you're thinking about legacy so hard. Mm-hmm. If you're not mentally prepared, if you're not confident, you talked about my confidence. If you're not mentally prepared, if you're not confident in who you are, and that takes so much work, right? That's therapy. That's conversations. That's like, you know, like tears and that's joy. That's finding friends and finding people. If you don't have that in you, then that's when the legacy stuff starts to get into your head. And so for years, I didn't have those surrounding forces that were so beneficial and that's why it's so essential to find people, right? Find loved ones, find people who are going to be that support system for you so that you can lift up yourself when those things are starting to be heavy on your shoulders. Jeff, I don't, I don't know if Ted is watching, but you just gave a damn Ted talk, my brother. <laughs> Man. Uh, and I mean, I know, I know you got the red hat on instead of the red rug, but it, the damn thing I works. Um, you, Jeff, beautifully beautifully articulated um and uh yeah that was that was awesome (laughs) just dope to listen to you um and we are uh so similar in that way 
um, in that like I am in the constant pursuit of uh, of that legacy. And, and uh, but but the, the place that we differ, the place that we differ is that uh, is that you have let that hunger fuel you to start and smash the gas. Whereas sometimes I let the insecurity of am I doing the right thing? Is the next step the right thing? Am I going to fall through this frozen lake if I take the wrong step? You know, sometimes uh, you and then you're just sitting there, you're just standing there worrying, but you're not doing anything, right? Yeah, it's about yeah. putting putting yourself in motion. Um, and that's what you do. Um, it is what I strive to do. Uh, and uh, it is really, it's beautiful, but it's tough. It's tough because it's hard not to get into a comparative space when you're trying to be innovative, right? It's tough not to be like, well, is this the next cool thing? Well, is this the next cool thing, right? I mean, yeah, we can shout out uh, Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin because ain't nobody else doing shit back then. So hell yeah, they invented a whole <laughs> right. bunch of things and thank goodness <laughs> for them, right? For seeing the opportunity and for innovating and being like, well, what if, right? Like, thank goodness for them. But right now there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise, a lot of people out here talking, right? Um, and uh, and it's it's easy to change how you write your story based on the way you let the noise influence you. Um, and so it was really powerful to hear you speak. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling amped right now, Jeff. Yeah. You know, let me tell you, uh, me too, because, you know, that noise and, and, and the reason why the noise exists is because we haven't, if you hear a lot of the noise, right? If the noise is, is, is constant, and even though those insecurities are constant is because we haven't yet fully aligned our legacy to ourselves. Right. So it's like the train track. That's just not on. It's like the train can go, but it's not going to be effective. You know, if you have one flat tire, you can drive a car, but you're not going to get as far as you'd like to go. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why when I talk about that, 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 that piece, what I mean by it is you've got to really start to say, my legacy cannot be aligned to innovation. It cannot be aligned to anything that can be taken away, right? Or it cannot be aligned to, to ideas. It has to be aligned to humans, right? To the idea of being a, a, a humble, humanistic individual, right? Now, what that means is your alignment has to be your... your, your um, your legacy, right? And that path has to be, how can I help others? How can I be a part of this community? That's it. Because then it starts to get into this space that becomes that much more difficult when you're thinking, how do I change the world? Or how do I shift this? And how do I live in this space that is completely unpredictable? The one thing that I know is, is not unpredictable are people. Right. They, I mean, in essence, individuals are unpredictable, but people and, and, and being a human is not. And that is a constant. So when I align myself to saying I want to help humans find a voice, that's it. Now, as you can tell, I failed multiple different directions or didn't find the way until a particular way. But, you know, rapper, speaker, teacher, professor, educator, writer, what is it? I don't know. But when you align it, but the work, the thing that kept me on board was that I always knew it was about the voices of other people. Yeah. And I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know where it was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to turn in, turn out. But I knew that had to be the constant. And that constant yeah. was the thing that helped me say, 
even when I thought I was failing, even when I was scared, I have to stay the course on that. But the moment you start talking about ideas and 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 things and and innovative mindset, that's where it starts to get a little muggy because you can't predict any of that. And then what happens is you can't even control that. You know what I mean? And as you're doing something, they snatch it away. So you could be somebody that invented TikTok and then thinking that you'd made it. And then all of a sudden a president says, you know what? We, we banned TikTok. Now you're like, damn, there goes my legacy. You know, it can't be that. It has to be, you know, I want to do something to make people happy if that's why you created TikTok or whatever, right? So when you recognize what it is that, you're, that you want to do for others, for people, mm-hmm. then you change the game. You know, you can't think of the money, you can't think of the material, you can't think of even like creativity. Like it can't be like my my goal is to be creative. I mean, that's that's not good enough because that yeah. even that, even that is unpredictable. You know what I mean? That changes. But if you're like, listen, I just want, you know, it's about people and you want to help people do this. That's how I tell people your legacy is created by saying, I want, I'm here to help others do this. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. That's it. Simplify it. Yeah. Jeff is beautiful. And I love, I love what you talked about, man. Uh, And we're we're going, we're going to wrap this up. If y'all have some questions for Jeff, make sure you put some of them in the, in the, uh, in the comments so we can get to the the Q and a portion of this in a bit. But Jeff, here's what you just talked about that I really loved is that, you know, a lot of it comes back to alignment. And when I think about alignment, uh, it's about what's your trunk, right? What is your trunk that everything then branches off? A lot of people are out here trying to plant a bunch of trees, right? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to start a candle business and I'm going to also invest in stocks and I'm also going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do all these things and hopefully one of them will work. That's not the way it works. Instead, you got to invest in what that trunk is and figure it out. Like for me, the trunk is, is is authentic and authenticity and vulnerability. And everything I do stems off of that. The speaking, the coaching, the podcast, the consulting, uh, the, 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 all of that kind of stuff. It all stems from this nugget that is powerful. Um, and, and you talking about alignment is really beautiful. And it's tough sometimes to find alignment because we don't want to see it when it's right in front of us. We know the things that bring us joy. We know the things that make us happy, but we're told by so many external sources that it can't be that. You got to follow yeah. this. Life is a set of train tracks. You, you hit all the stations. You graduate high school, you graduate college, you get your first place, you find the love of your life. Maybe you buy a dog, you have a kid or two, and then you retire and then you die. Welcome to life. Buckle up. Right. And that's not yeah. the way the shit works. You know that creepy road just to the side of the train tracks? That's where I am. I'm hanging out on that creepy road, driving my own damn car, figuring out, I'm going to take a right over here. I'm going to take a left. Yeah, I know where the stations are. I know how train tracks work. And yeah, I'll hit them eventually, but I'm also going to explore on my way. And I'm going to mess up and I'm going to stop and I'm going to look around and I'm going to figure it out. But at the end of the day, that alignment is critical. And are you seeking alignment based on the shoulds of life or are you seeking alignment based on the coulds of life? I think is an important thing that people need to think about. And I'm so glad that we're ending this conversation on alignment. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, and I'll be brief in saying this. It's, you know, a, a, the, the things that have defined what alignment looks like 
they were they were created right these ideas that create what we thought legacy was supposed to be was created when you know black people were considered three-fifths of a man when women weren't allowed to be you know professionals when when immigrants were were called savages when people who were homeless weren't allowed like this is when these ideals were created right so we can't sit here and say yeah we're gonna follow this path that was created when nobody but one voice had an opportunity to do it. You know what I'm saying? So if yeah. if we can't sit here and, and say that we're aligned to these things today. So for, for me, that's the thing I'll close on is just saying like, you know, when you find your alignment and you think that you're going the wrong path, ask yourself, when did that alignment start? Right. When did they build that foundation to go back to what we talked about earlier? When did it begin? And if it began and you weren't part of the conversation, then you have to realign. Preach. <laughs> that's it that's it man right that's yeah it. I'm not, that's it i don't need to say anything else jeff it yeah. has been an honor to have you uh here in diner talks with jane thanks for sliding into the booth with me brother it's always a good time uh getting to hang out with you and and your wisdom your confidence uh you are you are contagious uh in a really beautiful way and uh and that speaks to the impact that you have had on so many and the ripple effect of the work that you do um, so congratulations on the book launch. We wear kicks to work. Make sure y'all pick it up. Uh, and also make sure you're hitting up uh, Trill or Not Trill as well. Uh, and just seeing some of the work that they're doing out there because they are truly moving the needle um, and having conversations like no other entity is doing in the educational space. Uh, Jeff, thank you for coming through. James, man, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's always good to see you. And uh, hopefully we can do this for real at a real diner the next time, man. So thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate everybody for listening, checking out the book and all the things that we're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I love it. If y'all are willing to, if you have some questions for Jeff, please make sure you put those in the chat now and let's continue the conversation. But for those of you on the podcast, thanks so much for listening. Really exciting to have you here. I appreciate y'all and I hope you have a great and wonderful day. Be well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.